Christmas episode of Saturday Night Live. No matter what denomination you practice, no matter what holiday you celebrate, we can all celebrate the Christmas episode here at SNL Recaps. We are going to talk about the Christmas episode with Kevin Hart. And like all holidays, not every gift that you get is the best gift you've ever gotten, but we don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. We'll talk about Kevin Hart and the Foo Fighters here on Saturday Night Live Recap. I'm your host, Rich Tackenberg. And as always, I am joined by Mr. Mike Bloom. Hello, Mike. Hey, Rich. Happy holidays to you and yours. And just so you know, I used the bathroom before going here, so there will be no calls from my Nana at the last second over the course of this podcast. Fantastic. Fantastic. And Mike, a uh, thanks to you and Paul for covering. Paul stepped in and did a great job last week. I was actually in New York City, ironically, while uh, while you guys were recording, but I did get a chance to listen and really enjoyed your take on uh, on the last episode. Yeah, thank you. I had a lot of fun getting to talk with Paul Ossus and hear his thoughts about the season overall, as well as the James Franco episode. But I feel like we'd be remiss to not hear from one of the consistent co-hosts of this podcast about their thoughts of any episode of SNL. So I know it was a week ago at this point, Rich, but do you have any takes off the top of your head about that episode? It's funny. It feels like it's three weeks ago. I, I agreed with mostly everything you guys said. I thought that it was a very strong performance episode, although maybe not a strong writing episode. Not to say just I think there's a little bit of a scale. I think this one leaned on. Let's see what happens if we sort of do a, you know, do a, you know, a remit of the Julia Child, uh, you know, sketch and have blood shooting everywhere. And let's see what they do. Or let's have James Franco screaming za uh, over and over at the top of his lungs. So I thought instead of deep premises and uh, and clever uh, setups it was really an episode about uh, about good performances and and i thought for the most part they brit it a lot of sketches probably i agree with you guys more fun than funny but i i certainly enjoyed it i thought it was a, a very a very fun episode to watch weird to be watching it from hulu on my ipad a very different experience for me Absolutely. And even going into this episode, outside of that James Franco episode, we have some big SNL news as well. Uh, for the for the first time, I would say in a, at least a few years, not since Seth Meyers, our Weekend Update co-anchors have been announced as head writers, co-head writers of SNL now joining a group of four. Michael Che and Colin Jost are now in those positions, we'll see. Obviously, I don't know if that had any effect on this episode, but I'm assuming it's definitely going to inform the Sam Rockwell episode and moving forward in 2018. At first glance here, Rich, what's your reaction to this news? You know, interesting with Che, because as a lot of people, I'm sorry, I will start with first, you know, Colin Jost, interesting that, you know, he had been a head writer and then yeah. stepped down from the head writer gig when he, you know, was focusing on uh, Weekend Update. I think probably now that Weekend Update has sort of found their footing stylistically that he's got some more time to devote to that. But, you know, weird to think that in 43 years of the show, Michael Jay is the first black writer since the beginning of the show, you you know, his first black head writer. Uh, so I think a, a, a great sort of, uh, you know, thing to see finally happen and weird that it took this long to happen. So I'll be interested to see, you know, what, you know, what Shay, you know, we already know what Joe sort of brings to the head writer, uh, you know, from his tenure. It'll be interesting to see what Shay adds to that mix. Um, but, you know, Brian Tucker and Ken Sublette have been doing it, you know, for, uh, you know, quite a bit now, and they certainly know what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see the match of foursome. Um, also of note, I didn't, I was, I was watching 
watching the end credits, I was like, wait a minute, where's where's other people? And I noticed that Sudi Green and Fran uh, Gillespie have been added as also writing supervisors, which yeah. is sort of the step below head writers with Streeter Seidel. So Sudi Green, who I'm fairly positive was the first in the James Franco monologue, was the was the woman who asked a question before they uh, sitting in front of uh, Seth Rogen. So mm-hmm. as, uh, as they've done some really good stuff. Uh, I think Sudi just wrote the Welcome to Hell or uh, um, the When in Hell or whatever it was called, uh, the all girl sort of bit that we had seen in the uh, Cersei Ronan bit. So excited to see them. So a lot of a uh, lot of movement going on. I'm very excited. Yeah, a nice uh, gift to a lot of these writers before the holidays come around. But again, I feel like these changes won't really take effect until 2018. And I will say overall, I love SNL, but I will say particularly from a writing perspective, and this episode might be very indicative of that, at least from my perspective, is not the strongest. Again, when you when you lose two dynamite head writers after a di- an equally dynamite 42nd season, you obviously need time to adjust a little bit. But it feels like in the first half of SNL 43, we've gotten some really fun performances, both from the hosts and the cast members. But it just doesn't feel like the majority of the time the writing really matches up to those performances. Again, there are some really fun exceptions. But I'm hopeful that with this new sort of writing mix-up team and a sustained break between this and when Sam Rockwell comes back in January, they'll be able to sort of work out the kinks. That's just me being optimistic. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this episode, again, was probably more performance than writing as far as a couple of the sketches that were really uh, about sort of watching Kevin Hart sort of play out uh, these wacky characters and what happens uh, as opposed to some strong sort of very clever writing that we're all like, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming or, oh, my God, I've been thinking that forever. Finally, somebody said it, I think. uh, So we'll be interesting to see what you think. So. Let's jump into the cold open. Let's let's get to the White House tree trimming. Uh, you know, instead of the 12 days of Christmas, we're getting the 12 people of Christmas because <laughs> it took literally 12 people to put to, to uh, be in this sort of hodgepodge who's who's sort of revolving door of uh, cold opens, which, Mike, I think you and I've talked about a lot. I think we're seeing a lot more of the sort of cold opens and sketches that are really just like character comes in, has three or four cute lines, steps out. Next character comes in, says, there are three or four lines and we just kind of uh, rinse and repeat until we get to live from New York at Saturday night. It is comparable to me almost to the way we sent off SNL 42, where you had the the re- recreation, uh, recreation of the Hallelujah cold open, but with all of these characters from the Trump administration, that's where you also had a sort of a, an out of nowhere Scar Joe cameo once more, though, considering the fact that she is dating now uh, recommissioned head writer Colin Jost, I guess her cameos are sort of making more sense. But uh, again, it's a sort of comparable in that it really is. This is a definitely more lengthened version of just sort of, as you mentioned, running through like the roster of like, okay, let's bring in Mike Pence. Let's bring in Kellyanne Conway. Let's bring in Jeff Sessions. Let's bring in the, the Trump brothers to sort of like almost like tip your cap to the audience to be like, here are all these characters that we created and I'll give them credit as I always do for really trying to flesh out almost like the Trump administration world rather than just focus on the president proper, which SNL hasn't done too, too much in the past, but Yeah, I don't want to beat a dead horse too much, but again, I'll say that the least interesting part of this sketch for me was Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump. I think, you know, the the, the cameos, uh, you know, they had their highs and lows. Uh, I think you could tell which characters were created much more strongly than other ones, but 
I mean, the Trump introduction at the beginning, I didn't really feel necessary. I like the idea of the tree of shame and this idea of like, oh, we're going to, you know, look upon the year with this idea of uh, we're going to, you know, uh, hang ornaments of all the losers on the tree to show that I'm done with them. But I don't know if we necessarily needed that preamble, uh, but we can definitely talk about some of you, our favorite and yeah. least favorite cameos over the course of the sketch. I, I did like from the preamble when we're setting up that the war on Christmas is over and it's going to be replaced with the war with North Korea. I like that, that a lot. So, yeah, I agree. I thought there was, a, you know, I think the Trump thing, I think, you know, the we're getting a little used to it. So you don't have the same reaction. Um, I did like when Trump is talking about how, like, you know, he's trying to sort of hold it together. And then he says, until Don Lemon says something mean and I tweet, I might tweet the N word. I thought that was a, you know, the the kind of low blow version of Trump. Uh, Trump that we that we like from Alec Baldwin. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, for me, I thought a lot of people were good. You know, I think that the character of Mike Pence has become a favorite of mine. I think that the writing for that. I like when he shows up and he says, I hope I'm not slurring my speech. I just had a ginger ale. I thought yeah. that was very fun. I like I think, that. I think the, see, I think like that almost was interesting to me because I literally wrote in my notes like that is a good joke. And a bad joke was Trump being like, oh, here's my fall guy. I mean, Mike Pence. Like, yes. that just doesn't feel necessary to me. And again, I don't, I don't want to, like, hone in too much on how I dislike this uh, this characterization of Trump. I just find it sort of unnecessary at this point. And it just shows how the Mike Pence characterization, uh, you know, uh, in um, in ironically enough is the stronger one because they're sort of yes it is a little bit similar to like what they did with Mitt Romney several years ago but I I like the direction they're going and also uh you know I don't like this that I don't like singing deck the halls because it mentions gay apparel it's like little moments like that that make me like the Mike Pence characterization yeah, no, I thought they did a they did a really nice job, you know, and then you mentioned Scarlett Johansson showing up, which I thought was really fun. I mean, the audience, it's sort of almost like there was two waves of applause. There was like the first people who realized it, who it was, and then the second round of people who realized what it was. I don't know that they gave her that much in the writing. I don't know that we've sort of nailed that much of like, you know, the, the lines that she said about things like there's a special place in hell and we're all there and stuff like that could have been said by almost anybody. So Maybe she was a last minute ad uh, given, you know, her dating Colin and coming for the Christmas party or something. But I don't know that it sort of added that much to it. Um, And I think think that speaks to the fact that she is not a really developed character. I mean, we had, you know, the ScarJo complicit uh, ad last season. But uh, because Scarlett Johansson is not coming back uh, frequently as Alec Baldwin or because we haven't had someone to really step into that, we haven't seen too, too much of the uh, the, you know, the the Ivanka character really being built up. You can see that similarly with like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, for example. Right. She had the music video sketch earlier on in the season. But obviously, compared to Sean Spicer, it sort of pales in comparison. So when you put those two up against people like Mike Pence and the Trump brothers who have gotten much, much more play even Jeff Sessions at the end, it, it definitely uh, shows a disparity a bit. Yeah. Um, although, you know, a character that certainly I think we have said to the absurd has been fleshed out very well as the Jeff Sessions ending the cold open. Uh, maybe a little bit more fun than funny of our more recent Jeff Sessions uh, appearances. But I like him as Elf on the Shelf. And I just think it's just so sublimely bizarre. And and I feel like she just eats it up. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought that was a, a nice way to end what sort of was a non ending kind of SNL cold open. 
Yeah, and uh, second time in three shows, I think, where or in a few shows where Kate has done a quick change in like three minutes. So I give her all the credit in the world. And uh, I think we can definitely stick a pin in the Omarosa cameo uh, because mm-hmm. it's going to make a return appearance halfway through the show. Yes. So let's jump into the main show. We've got, you know, uh, one of the things when we saw Kevin Hart hosting, you know, means a good monologue uh, because we're going to get a stand up monologue, which is always good. Kevin Hart self-assured feel like his voice was about as shot as mine. I I can't say I'm a classic. uh, I'm a diehard Kevin Hart fan, but I certainly felt like his voice was flagging in it Um, and sort of did a did a sort of a a quicker than than I would have expected. Fairly strong monologue. I'm kind of mixed on this one. Uh, What did you think? Yeah, well, what I'll say about Kevin Hart here, even though, as you said, if he's functioning at like 50 percent, that's still 100 percent more energy than any sort of normal person you see in your everyday life. And he obviously carried that energy through essentially every performance he had on this sketch. I definitely feel like Kevin Hart, for the most part, kind of like transcended the writing of the sketches this episode just because the the sketches many of which I did not enjoy. I would have enjoyed even less if you didn't have someone like Kevin Hart trying to sell it with comics. It can be tough sometimes to separate their performative material from their personal life because so much is sort of tied within the other, you know, they're basing a lot of material around their personal life. So did Kevin Hart here. And I try to, you know, not conflate the two, but I'll be completely honest here. It was tough for me to get through this monologue knowing what had happened to Kevin Hart when he was talking about, mm-hmm. oh, you know, my I just had my third child. My mind flashes to those tabloids from over the summer about how he had cheated on his pregnant wife and had admitted to it. It, it, it definitely put a little bit more of a bite into the material that le- le- left a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth personally. Yeah, that's sort of I, I was in the same situation. I felt like, you know, whatever happened in his personal life is none of my business, but I know about it. It was public controversy. So to not as a stand up comedian, I feel like to not address it in some way in a in a stand up monologue sort of felt a little fl- off to me. It felt like we all were sort of all waiting to hear what he's going to say and how he's going to address this. And then he's just talking about very generic evergreen material about being a daddy when you're older and what it's like having a two year old. It kind of was like I kept waiting for sort of the moment to happen that never happened. So for that, I sort of uh, I, you know, I wonder if I had watched this monologue, uh, you know, if I had taken a pill and not known about what had gone on with Kevin Hart, would I have liked it a lot more? I think I would have. Because I I definitely missed sort of, you know, him not sort of talking about or at least making a reference to an allusion to what had happened. Or if not, at least don't make your material about being a father. You know, like you are putting your hand on that stove and saying, I'm not going to get burned by this. And I know that a lot of people also took some umbrage with, you know, some might say that he had some definite uh, old school values when it comes to, you know, him saying, well, the mom is is there for discipline. The dad's supposed to be the fun dad, but being fun dad is exhausting. I will say uh, I did enjoy some parts of it. I did like the whole routine of the 60 year old man he was following around around of how he was trying to get his baby like it was a a basketball that had gotten loose uh i mean again his energy sort of buoyed this monologue along for me but i would say you know for comparing this with kumal nanjiani or tiffany haddish definitely uh not up there for me but 
safe to say it's better than Larry David's, even though that's not saying too, too much. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I, I, I liked some of the specific material, but it's not something that I'm going to go back to. But again, as we're going to start talking about when we get to the sketches, his energy and confidence, I think, sort of helped him when uh, maybe it wasn't always, a, a, you know, when I was expecting otherwise. So so let's get to the first pre-tape. Let's do it. So again, this is, you know, as, as you guys alluded to, you alluded to with Paul last, uh, last week, you know, we're really amped up our amount of Christmas that we're going to be talking about, you know, and 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 focusing on in sketches. We're going to start with a pre-tape about holiday jewelry, uh, you know, the uh, sort of you know, very hip, trendy Pandora brand of charms. Uh, this was a, a commercial parody about, uh, you know, guys giving their uh, wives and girlfriends uh, charms. Uh, I, I thought this was a very fun take. I don't know that uh, first time watching it, I was waiting for the big funny to happen, but I thought it was a very very uh, well done sort of take on uh, everything ab- about this and about gift giving in general, uh, often women compared to guys. So on second watching, I definitely uh, I was definitely laughing more. I thought this was a fairly well done piece. What do you think? This is definitely more true to life for me. Uh, I'm definitely that person who like if I need a, la- a gift from my sister and I'm racking my brain and I can't come up with anything, I'm like, oh, she has a charm bracelet. Let me like find a fun charm for her. And so I'm happy to, to know that that's sort of like a shared experience. And I like the very specific point of view that they're coming in from with this. It reminded me of the Valentine's Day sketch from it was either this year or the year before of the, you know, get your girlfriend something crappy you got at CVS. Mm-hmm. You know, just yes. coming from that POV of, listen, we know you've thought of something at the last minute and got this this really crappy gift. There's just a lot of fun lines in here. You know, we take one little fact about your wife and turn it into jewelry. Uh, when Beck gives Cecily the, the dress charm and says, I noticed you wear dresses. And some yes. of the names of them were, uh, you know, uh, I know what your occupation is and it is a nurse. Uh, one is it's a dog i i just i like the specificity of it this actually might be my favorite sketch of the night again admittedly a bit of a low bar to clear from my point of view but i i really enjoyed this one Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for me if it was yet my favorite sketch, but I definitely I definitely enjoyed, like you said, uh, you know, and I like the idea that when once you get her, you know, once you get her one, you can get her one of these sixty dollar whatevers for every Mother's Day and birthday. And like this sort of went uh, it sort of hit over and over again. So I thought it was cute and I thought it was short and sweet, which I think was very, very helpful. All right, let's get into the live sketches themselves. And uh, we're going to start off with a poop joke here, Rich. Let's talk about Doug. Yeah, this to me was very reminiscent of the uh, Christmas wrapping scene uh, uh, last week with, uh, you know, with uh, with James Franco cutting his finger in that there's really not much to this scene. It really is more about them, uh, you know, the performance of it. Uh, But I will say I like this. I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily a big fan of uh, of poop jokes, although I thought that it was less uh, until we get towards the end. It was less about poop and more about just the person who doesn't want to admit that he has to poop which I thought was really fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually like this. I thought that he did a really nice job with this. It was a bit of a slow start for me just because it's always tough in a sketch. We need to get those given circumstances out there in a non-clunky way. So it took a little s- slow to get going of him answering the phone and then 
actually outright saying, okay, Doug, we get it. You fake emergency phone calls from your family when you need to go to the bathroom. Kevin Hart definitely sold this sketch better than it would play with maybe any other host, especially his uh, facial reactions as he's trying to hold something in. But this sketch definitely uh, took a tick up for me once the, the sappy music kicked in for not the last time in this episode. And all the co-workers decided to fake phone calls, literally like holding their hands up to their ears to mind being on the phone to say, oh, it's your Nana, Doug. Oh, she says <laughs> you have to go meet him. You have to go meet her on the fifth floor. It's an emergency. I sort of liked the hokiness in them deciding to, to bail him out at the end of it. Oh, Doug, we all feel bad for Doug. Yeah, I thought a lot of the sort of, you know, the the references to the fifth floor bathroom that, you know, where there's nothing else except a working bathroom and stuff. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought and, and I would say uh, I was not a huge fan of the uh, of the physical gag of uh, the, the water coming from his, uh, you know, his um, wig sort of show him sweating. I thought that that almost took us out of what was a very nice sort of character piece. It was really about the character who does not want to admit that he has to go to the bathroom after every uh, after he eats. Uh, and then once we sort of then it became sort of a, a, a sight gag. I don't know that that was my favorite. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to sort of escalate that, you know, and I, I wonder, like, where do you go from there? And I guess where you go from there is you put the sound effects in and then, you know, you, you uh, move the plot along. But I enjoyed it purely from a visual perspective, but I could see where you're talking about in terms of the heightening. It doesn't necessarily match up. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So but I think a, a nice sweet thing. Uh, I don't know that I thought the ending was necessarily all that great, uh, but still still fun. So a good, good, good live piece. And then we're going to weirdly go to a uh, to a pre-tape, you know, rare for us to go pre-tape live sketch pre-tape. I'm assuming it's because while we're all watching this pre-tape, they are desperately trying to get a bald cap on uh, on Kevin Hart for what is going to be our next sketch. <laughs> yes. But the, for now, the, the second yeah. of the second of many many wigs to kevin yes. will wear over the course even though he'll keep the beard i guess there he was allowed to keep the beard but they just yes. said put as many wigs on me as possible exactly so but before we get to that we're going to talk about uh <clears throat> sorry we're going to talk about the captain shadow this was an interesting one for me i thought this was uh you know i think we sort of saw where it was going the idea that you know there are two black crime fighters who uh, still get pulled over by the police and are going to have to sort of justify uh you know you know very much sort of mapping the uh you know the black experience of of dealing with police officers to superheroes um i you know i i i'd say i think i like this mostly because of the interplay between kevin hart and chris rudd i thought that mm -hmm. they chris Rudd and him had a really nice interplay and that and that red really sort of held this really insane character you know which turns out to be 16 years old which is a nice reveal um i thought they did uh i thought this this was a this was a, a nice job definitely do you know if Chris Red wrote this sketch? You know, I don't know. I haven't actually seen anything online about it, so I don't know. But I could see that, definitely. Yeah, considering, again, your uh, rule of feature players is usually if they have a big highlight of it, I mean, it means that they most likely wrote it, which is good for Chris Red between, like, this and the Chance the Rapper episode. He's definitely had gotten some feature time, definitely more than Heidi and Luke uh, from that perspective. Yeah, I, I know that you said you knew where this was going, but this took a, a bit of a turn for me just because I, I think we were expecting it to sort of end in one way. And they yes. sort of pull out this ending of, oh, he had cocaine on him the entire time, which I don't know if that was necessarily like 
undoing the entire sketch but if they were trying to go for some sort of satire or some sort of messaging it sort of undid it there it's interesting to me i feel like it warrants comparison to the chance the rapper episode when they had the batman sketch of you know here are the people uh who are living in this part of the neighborhood who are not fans of Mm -hmm. batman this idea of like let's use this like these racial dynamics to, to to break down this superhero character and you know you have kevin hart doing his best batman voice and then when the cops pull him over, there were a couple of fun moments. Uh, I liked, you know, him saying, oh, I'm, I'm the Captain Shadow and this is the Cardinal. And Alex is a cop. She says, oh, OK, so you're rappers or something. I still need to see your ID. And like you said, uh, I liked uh, the interplay or the interplay, I guess, with the Sparrow and the cop of, oh, is, is this guy your son? And no, but we live in a ca- <laughs> we live in a cave together. Uh, I thought was fun. But for some reason, I think the, the cocaine kind of muddled it for me. Maybe. And again, this might have been too strong of a statement, even for SNL when it's airing late maybe if the cops had planted the cocaine on on the captain shadow that would have made a better punch at the end of it which i'm assuming captain shadow likes to dole out a lot of because he doesn't like to lose to use guns but it was a bit of an odd ending for me yeah i certainly agree i i i had the same thing i thought his was this his energy powder or energy dust i think it was uh sort of turned it into the oh he actually is the thing that uh you know that the cops were sort of alluding to and that the cops were right which was a surprising sort of turn for me so i think he when he yells to call my own lady they got me again or something like that i thought that was very very interesting so uh yeah an, an interesting one uh and again one i don't know that i'd be watching a second time i think i sort of got it the first time we can move on um so let's get to inside the nba as i alluded to we're doing uh you know a little uh you know a, a piece of uh you know four of our nba hosts talking whereas they're gonna supposedly talk basketball but it really <laughs> just turns into kevin hart as shaquille o'neal making fun of him uh with everyone sort of taking shots uh really this is uh you know even though this is a new sketch this is really just a continuation of the jay farrow as Shaquille O'Neal with uh, with um, uh, Keenan as Charles Barkley that we've seen on Weekend Update many times during the Jay Farrow era. Uh, I don't think we saw anything new here, but I did think that there was a lot of funny that they gave Kevin Hart to say as the sort of mumbling, lost, weird uh, sort of play on uh, on uh, the, on the character. Do we think that Jay Farrow's official SNL legacy is sort of buried? At this point, is 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 that the mo- the telltale moment is when you bring in a host to do another uh, to do an impression that you have already sort of made headlines with previously on SNL? Yeah, especially when you're going to do it in the same way as Jay Farrow did it and you're going to put him with Charles Barkley and, you know, and you've got Keenan sort of like, hey, instead of me doing my thing with Jay, I'm going to do it with Kevin. It was sort of a sort of, you know, clearing the deck and sort of getting into it. Um, But that said, I thought I still thought it was funny. Yeah, I would say so. And again, Kevin Hart definitely sold this. Uh, I mean, it's tough to compare his impression to Jay Farrow, not even his impression, but his characterization. I mean, I miss the Jay Farrow eye crossing, which he did so, so well. But I think Kevin did an all right job, and especially considering the fact that he was sitting there that entire time on stilts. You have to imagine how uncomfortable that was. And the interplay itself, the writing here, you know, while it's something that we've seen before, I'm always going to have fun with it. I love the the Shaq sort of no filter running commentary of, you know, 
dead horses can't tell no tales because they're horses who lost their tails or every dog has its day, but it's not daytime. It's nighttime. So it's not for dogs. Dogs are asleep. You know, it's cat time and it's shack time. Just completely nonsensical. And then Charles Barkley sort of functioning as the straight man. But like you said, even the characters sort of lampshaded this. They never even talked about basketball until the middle of the episode, until the middle of the sketch. And then they touched upon it for maybe like 15 seconds. Yeah. And we as we've said for many years now, to me, my favorite Keenan is indignant character Keenan. So I I don't know that this is even a Charles Barkley impression as much as it is him just looking like Charles Barkley. But there were a lot of lines like when he's talking about Shaq, you're talking about how he's got a whole bunch of words got jumbled up in your brain. And the fire marshal said, everybody out. I think that <laughs> those those for me are very funny. I like I like those sort of comebacks and sort of shots. I thought they they delivered very well. Yeah, and it ended well with uh, Charles Barkley saying that uh, you have a tall body with little arms. You look like the letter F came to life, which <laughs> may, maybe so the saving grace of this sketch was actually seeing Kevin Hart on stilts because that was uh, that was a, f- a fun new take on the character. Yes, I, I thought that was really fun. They did a nice job. Also, because Jay Farrow is a tall guy, you've never needed to do something. But we got to really sort of, you know, have a lot more fun with that, especially given that Kevin Short himself is is more of a diminutive gentleman. <laughs> so the, the 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 stilts was a nice reveal. It was very fun. Mm hmm. So let's get to the musical guest and we're going to split it up this time. We're going to start. Let's just talk about the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighters coming back for their seventh performance, eighth, if you count them being with uh, with uh, the Rolling Stones, I think it was or someone. Yeah, uh, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure like Dave Grohl has played drums for a couple of other musical guests, too. So he's I mean, he's pretty tenured at this point, at least. Individually. Oh, and, and Nirvana, you know, played, uh, yeah. I think, twice. So, uh, yeah. So Dave Dave has been been there for quite a bit. So. You know, 20 something years, uh, you know, when he's still on uh, performing their new song, The Sky is a Neighborhood. Um, I I will just sort of, you know, the, the background. I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. I really like them a lot. I'm not a diehard, uh, but I, I always enjoy every new album they have. I love Dave. I think he's great. Um, and this was just a really like this is very straight down the middle, hard rock song done well, fun song, performed well, great energy. Um, I feel like they really really filled that small space with a lot of sort of energy and noise in a good way. Um, I really liked it. I thought this was a, a really fun song. Yeah, it was a little bit of like a headbanger for me. And even uh, yeah. Dave Grohl was doing a bit of headbanging as well. So I think, you know, the the thing that's going to get uh, got a lot of press is obviously the second medley that they did. And honestly, that might be the thing that got the most press out of the entire episode. Uh, but I enjoyed this first song as well. Their new song. Yeah, no, I thought they, I thought it was a, a really good, really good um, bet. So yeah, and everyone, and it's funny, these are, these are not young gentlemen, by the way. I, yeah. you know, you know, it's a, Dave is, I mean, you know, whatever you want to say, he's, I think he's about my age. I think he's maybe a year younger. I think he's about 48 years old and uh, he's really bringing it up there. He is not there. They're not leaving anything, uh, you know, up on, on 8H. They're sort of leaving it all there. So it was really fun. So good. So we'll save that the second part for the end. We'll get to weekend update. Uh, I think very joke heavy uh was a, mm-hmm. a tighter bit um uh, so our our new two of our head writers are uh, you know are now here i thought that it was nice i don't know that it was as hilarious as some other ones but i felt like oh we're really like now i'm sort of seeing them in a uh, nice sort of role and, uh, and and sort of hitting a groove i should say um with uh, with a lot of fun jokes 
Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed this, Rich, but when they first said their names, they got some pretty considerable cheers from the audience, which I don't know if it was because of the head writer news or if it's just because that I would say at this point, they're probably the anchor of the SSSNL at this point. They they really have built themselves into a good groove, and that's why consistently throughout the course of these shows, and maybe even this show, Weekend Update has always been the highlight for me. And maybe the audience is sort of uh, respecting that as well. But I would say I enjoyed a lot of the jokes that were coming out here, even just starting off when Colin's talking about uh, Roy Moore's loss and says, you know, it's Doug Jones, uh, the first Democrat to win Alabama in over 20 years. And Roy Moore replied, gross, over 20? Uh, <laughs> Colin had some really good moments here uh, between this and the, the fact that no female de- uh, directors were nominated for Golden Globe. Globes. Uh, it's, in a, it's a snub Hollywood called the least of our problems. Uh, and then he uh, his big bit was talking about how, you know, Trump should consider resigning. He goes into this whole speech about how, you know, he taught everyone a lesson. He proved how, you know, quote unquote, corrupt the system was. If this were a Christmas movie, you know, this would be an angel would then come down and say that we've all learned a lesson and give us all presents. So uh, with the exception, of maybe the frightening look of him in his vacation braids, I feel like Colin in particular had a very strong update. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was uh, really good. I agree with a lot of stuff. I thought the, uh, you know, the, the Che did the nice bit about Omarosa about leaving and showing the clips ending with Robin Roberts saying bye Felicia, which I thought was not necessarily, I, I like that he didn't feel the need to sort of uh, make a big joke about it. Just sort of call Calling it out uh, was really fun. I thought I thought they did a really nice job. Well, speaking of Omarosa, let's talk about this now. First, how unconventional is it to introduce a character in the cold open and then bring them back in Weekend Update, but also in a meta perspective, play it in as oh, she stood, she stayed on the set after the cold open and decided to hang around during Update. Yeah, very odd. It was a very the way that they did. I thought was very, very odd. Uh, And also what makes it odder is the fact that this is not in any way a good Omarosa impression. This is just, you know, this this is the Charles Barkley of impressions, uh, female impressions. This is just her in an outfit and just sort of talking. Uh, So I thought that was very, very interesting. You know, what what are you going to do? But uh, I thought it was cute. I'm very glad that they kept it very short, though. Yes, I'm glad it was quick just because i can understand the game of the character it was oh almarosa is basically coming in with saying you can't fire me because i quit and she's basically applying that to everything including get kicked off the snl set when she came in i thought we were going to sort of get an unconventional riblet-esque interrupting to uh co- go into like a an extended bit like they usually do with the correspondence but that turned out not to be the case which made me very happy because it's sort of a dry well to plumb there i have no idea if we're ever going to see Amorosa, this character again, uh, but I, I honestly, at this point, uh, could imagine it happening in some way, somehow. Yes, yeah, I think that yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays. So uh, I thought you know, and, and a couple. I like the idea that you know, you better grab my arm. I'm escorting you out. I thought there. So you know, of what they did with it, I thought that it was cute. Um, but probably you know, probably the the bigger piece here was uh, our was I think our third showing of the guy who just bought a boat. <sighs> I will say, I, and I'm going to let you do some of the heavy lifting on this because, you know, the first time out, I was just really down on this. The second time I felt like, all 
right, I kind of get it. The third time, I'm I don't know what to think anymore because my brain <laughs> has two very different feels to it. Part of my brain says this is not like we get it. This is not funny or different or interesting. But then there is the other part of my brain that says, well, there are funny lines in this. Um, uh, I don't know. I, Mike, should I like this? Should I not like this? Tell me what to think. Well, I personally like it, but I think it's because I'm such a fan of goofy wordplay. And I'm really glad they steered into that curve with this character because the first couple times out, I feel like they were, you know, making things more about like the fun abbreviations and obviously this running game of him talking about how he is not so well endowed. And I'm happy that we sort of have focused away from that because that that's very repetitive. And this was just so pun heavy. And I could absolutely understand if people did not like it because puns are not everybody's thing. But as someone who has puns as their thing, I was in love with this there were so many stupid sexual christmas puns and even name puns over the course of this i wonder and i don't want to like project onto you but i wonder if one of the reasons why you're hesitant to sort of jump on board with this sketch is because alex does such a good job of playing someone so dislikable that it's tough for you to like hop on board with saying i love to hate this character yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. And I think you're right. I think sometimes when it's just wordplay, I probably get a little bit weirder about it. I get a little bit sort of thrown when it's just wordplay. And that is what this was. It was just wordplay. Um, but I, I think sort of to your point, I, I think what what sold it for me is it was at least especially it felt like in this one, although you could tell me that they've all been like this. And I just noticed that uh, whether it was brilliant or whether it was hacky, the actual writing of the wordplay was very complicated and I yeah. thought that Alex Moffat delivered it beautifully he really I mean it's on cue cards he probably wrote it or co-wrote it uh, you know himself but still live audience on cue cards with a lot of adrenaline I thought that he delivered this very very well Absolutely. Considering that the uh, previous actress, no shade to her, who just cameoed on Weekend Update would probably stumble a bit. Any really ordinary actor would. It's not even, uh, you know, the the amount of words, but it's the clippiness at which she does it and how everything runs together. You know, it's things like having her come back from her. You know, I think my favorite is deck the calls. I'm just kidding. It's but the mm -hmm. fact that it was so smooth coming out of his mouth that it almost makes the audience kind of like run two seconds behind and realize oh that's exact oh he he said that okay now i'm laughing about that i think uh you know if we're going consistently back to the small junk puns i think my favorite was uh mistletoe leads to camel toe and my <laughs> missile is a toe <laughs> Yeah. Which, which makes Colin like physically face palm in reaction. Yeah. I was wondering, did he, did he, was that something that he didn't see coming or just was so surprised how well that landed? Because for a bit that was clearly written, he was laughing so hard at that. Yeah. It's interesting to know if they pull a Stefan and like pull all this stuff. Out. I wonder, you know, how much the update anchors know what these correspondents have prepared. Cause you see, they have a lot of reactions and I feel like some of them are scripted and some of them are unscripted. They play much more fast and loose, which again might apply to SNL proper. Who knows as they become, uh, you know, head writers proper, but you could tell that they were having a lot of fun with this. And the fact that Alex was also able to keep a straight smirking face this entire time as well. I mean, uh, we were talking up Mikey Day so much, I feel like, during season 42, but season 43 for me has kind of felt like Alex Moffat's time. 
Yeah, I get that. I, I certainly get that. I mean, he's really he's shining a lot. I think even as uh, Derek or you know Eric in uh, in the beginning uh, as a Trump, I mean, he's really carrying a lot of that. I thought he did a nice job there. So yeah, I I, I totally see what you mean. All right, well, let's get to our post update group of sketches here and. Wow, Rich, this might be the first time in 43 seasons, you know, we consistently go backstage. And what is one of our trademark, nonsensical trademarks? A llama. Rich, they got the llama out into a sketch. How surreal is that? Yeah, I feel like, you know what, in 43 seasons, finally to have a white llama in a sketch, we're really breaking down barriers. We're really evolving as a culture that we're sort of out of the background, featured in in a sketch. Um, yes, very, <laughs> very, very crazy. Uh, I I think that I liked this sketch. I, lo- I loved the beginning of the sketch, just the reveal of the llama and the three guys just yelling, Jai, Jai over and over again I thought was very funny I don't know that I necessarily thought that this fully paid off Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that once we sort of got okay that's what this is I don't know that it necessarily went anywhere Um, what did you think Uh, when we saw Leslie and Keenan in the audience and we saw uh, 80 come out and say our teenagers have prepared a show I'm like oh yes we're bringing back the high school artsy showcase it's happening but it didn't I mean the the uh, the cast members I think did pretty good freaked out teenager impressions you know this is where Kyle and Mooney's style really shine so I'm happy that he didn't get a lot of play in this episode but I'm happy to see he got uh, carted out for that yet they, they laid down a lot of track in the beginning with Heidi coming out by the way hi Heidi uh, yep. not, not, not a big episode for you either but to sort of reveal okay we couldn't get a camel so we have a llama with a beanbag on it and also the llama's in heat so they prepared several things and you have this Jaid stuff and I thought we were going to get another uh, lasagna za pizza some moment where they're just going to say Jaid over and over and over again the cast members sold it as well as they could but considering the entire second half of this sketch was about how the llama had a boner and everyone was reacting to it and the llama clearly wasn't it wasn't terribly strong for me. And then you also have this turn that like Leslie was not happy with the show until the llama had a boner. And then she was really interested in it. That was a very odd (laughs) turn for the character to make. So it's always tough when you're using live animals in these types of things. But I think people were expecting something to go wrong with the llama or the llama to do something. So the fact that it didn't kind of didn't meet the energy expectations that, that that initial premise sort of set up. Yeah, I agree. And and the weird sort of payoff that Leslie is very interested in the llama felt more like a way to get out of the sketch than anything else. I don't I don't know that it actually made made a lot of sense at any point in time. All right, let's let's get to Crystal and Jean here, because I, I mean, this is definitely not uh, the Luke Knoll's first day of school level of silence. But I don't know. The audience was definitely not on board with this one. Were you rich? You know, I will say this. I was on board for the performance. I thought that I thought that he I thought that that uh, Kevin Hart uh, was just as Gene did a really nice job and it was really funny and silly and dumb. Uh, so to that, I would say that I really liked it. Um, uh, you know, I think once we got to the large life size uh, teddy bear and having to defile the teddy bear, it seemed very, very bizarre to me but uh in general uh you know this this was a little rough for me 
Yeah, I mean, this might be Kevin Hart's performance of the night just because he had to sell a terrible bill of goods. This was like a very odd version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And I mean, <laughs> Leslie played a Leslie role of a very domineering person. And Kevin, I thought something was going to happen with his head because this wig of all the wigs was by far the weirdest. It definitely drew attention, at least from my perspective. And if I'm focusing more on his hairline than I am on the sketch itself, you know it's bad. Uh, and I couldn't tell if the whole bear thing was like supposed to be uproariously funny or just like so uncomfortable it makes you laugh. But this just wasn't doing it for me, especially the end when, again, you have the music come in and he puts his foot down and the joke is, oh, no, it turns out that he's not he's going to acquiesce the entire time and go back to normal. Like that didn't necessarily land for me either. Yeah. And there was sort of a I felt like there was sort of definitely a weird sort of vibe of the other people like Doug, get a backbone. Like I was waiting for that to go somewhere, but I don't know that it ever did, which sort of made it like I feel like a sketch like this is very fun if we're driving towards a big payoff. But I don't know that we ever had that big payoff that I was hoping for. Yeah, I wonder if the if the reveal that he was the boss and they were all their employees was supposed to be that kind of thing, that big pop in the middle. But I feel like they did nothing with it. You know, I no. would have liked to hear, to hear some more information from that initial reveal. Yeah, it was a great reveal. I, I, it was a nice heightening of the sketch. But you're right. It almost got lost in the mix of like, well, he's but he's sort of like going to have sex with a pet teddy bear. So I don't know how much I really care. Very, very strange. So, uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure about that. Yeah. And I'm su- and I'm surprised that in a post update sketch that like they didn't. Uh, as odd as it is to say that, like, they didn't do more things to the teddy bear uh, just because this is where some of the more racier stuff happens. I'm surprised that, like, he kissed it a little bit, but it did not obviously go to the level that uh, Crystal wanted for Gene. Yeah, yeah, very. <laughs> it was an odd one. So, again, we're getting towards the end of the show. That's kind of where you want to see this kind of stuff happen. Uh, but odd, odd all around. So uh, let's sort of close out the comedy with uh, a PBS pledge drive uh, talking about Active Jack. Um <sighs> Okay, so there's so much wind blowing in the studio today, Rich. I know. I I feel like I need some more cold medicine to talk about (laughs) this one. Um, You know, it was a so, you know, you know, a fun but sort of felt a little pointless. What turns out to be a setup of seeing the original Action Jack, which is Kevin Hart, uh, you know, uh, sort of do his do his thing. Um, And then sort of after a long sort of uh, setup, we're going to see the, you know, the, the true people back together again or the you know the the current day back together again with Keenan Thompson now playing the part uh which I think once you said now we're going to see them reunited 45 years later I think we all sort of saw the jokes that were coming I don't know that there were really many surprises at this point did, did any anything pop for you well first I want to give some background to this sketch so apparently this is something that Keenan has wanted to do for a bit uh mm-hmm. you know when Seth Meyers does that that uh part of his show sometimes of like the not seen theater, I think it's called where he brings on people who uh, from SNL who are able to now do sketches that they were never able to successfully pitch. Apparently Keenan has also sort of let people know that he always wanted to do this idea. And I think the idea is really fun on paper. This was very reminiscent to me of like Daryl's place uh, where it's, they do a lot of setup. And when you do a lot of setup, your payoff really has to succeed. And in Daryl's place, I feel like it really paid off here. 
the payoff didn't really pay off for me. I feel like Keenan was was doing his best, but I mean, we saw, you know, five different things happen in that active Jack movie, and we had no idea what was going on. To then see it happen again, and maybe it's because he also, like, went a little too quickly through them that they all sort of muddled together, that he was like, I'm going up the stairs, oh, oh, no, my, my hip, and now I have to do the pull-up, oh, no, I farted. Maybe it's because it was set to music, they felt like they had to really quicken the pace of things. I will say the nice touch was, you know, having Melissa, by the way, hi, Melissa, and Kate mm-hmm. as the two uh, jump rope girls, and then cut to 45 years later, which I guess they're all the same age, which is weird, because I felt like uh, Active Jack seemed like, in the initial concept, like, considerably older than these little girls but i like how kate brought out her old woman uh let's call it let's say it's another debet goldry role uh but melissa's character has died and it's just a cut to this side table with a jump rope and a picture up her on it that that moment i did enjoy but this is just something that while fun on paper didn't really match uh in person yeah i i think and we all sort of saw where it was going it didn't it didn't feel fresh um it was yeah for me it was a bit of a hot mess so that's a bummer. That's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, but again, it's it's not actually our 10 to 1 because we're sort of playing with time a little bit. We're saving Foo Fighters for the end. So uh, a real uh, kind of weird one for me. So I thought, yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. That's that's Kevin. So but we're going to we're going to close the show at first feeling very odd that uh, that Alec Baldwin is uh, the mm-hmm. one, not Kevin Hart. Uh, as we understand, Kevin Hart is obviously changing and getting sort of out of his wig and getting ready to go do some ice skating. So uh, Alec Baldwin hosts uh, uh, introduces um, uh, the, the Foo Fighters one more time uh, to sort of close out. And uh, strangely, we're starting with uh, Dave Grohl uh, doing uh, Everlong, one of their most iconic songs and it's sort of a really nice acoustic version i was it was interesting that first i thought oh is he going to do a medley of of songs because he's you know he's doing it by himself and yet we can clearly see the entire band is still behind him he's not alone uh and then i thought maybe is this is he just going to do this whole thing like, I, I really didn't know where it was going but i really to start with i really liked this version of everlong i thought it was a really nice i mean this is not a new song by any means uh you know and i think that he brought made it feel fresh and did a really nice nice version of a song that was written uh, and you know, released in 1997 so it's 20 wow. years old this year which is unbelievable yeah i'm pretty sure i don't know if pete davidson was even born yet by the time this <laughs> song had come out yeah I, and it was i totally had the same thought as you where maybe it's because we had seen eminem do this about a month ago but i was thinking like okay are we just gonna now go into like a medley of old foo fighter standards so when the lights come up and you see Dave Grohl had been wearing a Christmas sweater beforehand, but when you have the snow falling and the female background singers and the band rocking out, for the first time maybe this episode, the biggest smile went across my face because this is why I love SNL at Christmas time. It's it's these types of moments that genuinely surprise you and bring up this nostalgia in your heart for these songs that we've heard over and over and over again every holiday season. It was just it was so much fun to watch. Oh yeah. No, I mean this, this for me was just so much fun. I mean, they just did such a great job and I, and I, I mean, I, there's, you know, there's so much, I mean, we're starting with the, you know, the, the classic, uh, you know, baby, please come home, uh, song, which, you know, you know, give it to Foo Fighters. They're really, you know, all the heavy lifting is the, you know, the backing vocals, which, you know, he, they added this year, Alex Lee, Samantha Sidley and Wendy Wang really do a lot of the heavy lifting here, getting to sort of really belt out a song that we've all 
all heard a million times before uh, and just did such a such a nice job with it. And I think the fact that they're getting to be featured sort of gave such a great energy to it. I thought that was just really, really fun. And then when we go into the classic Peanuts theme played, uh, you know, played in heavy metal version, um, I don't know if this I actually thought was, you know, great, you know, sort of, you know, substituting electric guitar for piano. But I certainly would say it was super, super fun. I had such a great time. Yeah, and I think it led perfectly into the good nights, which were done. I don't know if I don't know if we can talk about the moat here, Rich, because it was done on ice skates. But I'm glad they were able to get down to the rink. I feel like Jimmy Fallon's Christmas episode back in 2011 might be the last time you went to the skating rink for the good nights. But uh, as a diehard SNL fan, it always warms the cockles of my heart to see that. Yeah, this was an old tradition that they had given up for a while until uh, until uh, Fallon came back. I thought maybe it was 2013, but you might be right. But yeah, Fallon sort of brought it back when he hosted the Christmas a few years ago. And now to see them here, Kevin Hart, who talk about being a great sport, clearly does not know how to <laughs> ice skate. Uh, and yet instead of taking the cop out move that we see Leslie Jones and uh, uh, Cecily Strong and uh, Melissa Villas in your take uh, and actually. Actually, uh, Michael Che take, uh, you know, which, by the way, I would have taken too, uh, and standing on a platform uh, without ice skates. He's out there. He's on ice skates uh, and he's uh, and he's he's giving it the old, uh, you know, the best try he can to sort of run around. Uh, I love this energy. I thought it was fun. I would say this year and maybe because now I'm sort of getting older and wiser, felt like a lot of cast members just sort of didn't know what to do. I felt that there was a lot of just sort of uh, skating around sort of uh, just like, OK, this is look at us. We're doing it. Um, you know, yeah. As- well, well, we need to think about like who was around back in 2011 when this last happened. You know, Keenan, obviously, but who else? Kate, Cecily, maybe 80. Like, are those the only people that had been around to maybe experience this the last time? So they just had no idea what to do. Yeah. And I also think that the Jimmy Fallon was just a uh, just an, you know, an unarguably way better episode. So I think that they uh, you know, I I think that that was part of it that, you know, you're coming off the high of like, boy, we just killed it. That was so much fun. Uh, And this I don't think had that. So I think that sort of changed things. It's interesting because. Uh, not this week, but the week before, you know, they do like the SNL vintage and Eric classic episode beforehand. And before the James Franco episode last week was uh, a Christmas episode that I forget about, but might be one of my favorites is the Jack Black Christmas episode from uh, 2005. It had Lazy Sunday. Uh, it had, uh, you know, the first instance of the two a-holes buying a Christmas tree. It had the Will Forte spelling bee sketch. Uh, so that's another one that went to the ice. And I could totally see what we were talking about now with like the energy they have on the ice can sometimes represent how they felt overall about the show but what you're talking about with kevin hart i feel like is very representative of how he did in the show overall where he was a very very good sport for all the stuff that they sort of made him do over the course of this episode Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I miss the, you know, talking about great. It's funny. I, I, a quick aside. I was in New York this week in Manhattan working and it was every time I passed the very, very specific Manhattan uh, site of Christmas trees being sold on the sidewalks of New York. All I could think about was two way holes buying a Christmas tree and nobody I was with knew what that reference was, which was sad. Oh. So I get a shout out. So, yeah, um, you know, so, I, you know, fun. I don't you know, Christmas energy wise, I still 
still think, I mean, you know, the Foo Fighters did a great job ending with this. You know, you've got the Jimmy Fallon. To me, nothing will top 2015. Tina Fey and Amy mm. Poehler host and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band close out the show with Paul McCartney singing Christmas, Christmas songs and, and a whole cast just singing along. I think that might be my favorite. But I yeah. love that we're doing the nod to the Christmas tradition. All right. So we say goodbye to 2017 here, Rich, as we move into the first show of 2018. We have about a month or so off January 13th, 2018 host Sam Rockwell with musical guest Halsey. What are you thinking about this pairing here? I, now, Sam Rockwell, this has to be the first time that he's hosted. I can't I can't find yeah. any. Yeah, um, I th- I, uh, I love him. I think he's great. Um, I can't imagine what he's going to bring to the show, but I love his energy. Uh, so I, I think that that's going to be an interesting an interesting matchup. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to see what he brings to the show. Yeah, Sam Rockwell is sort of he's one of those actors for me that like. I sort of forget how good he is until I'm like, oh, yeah, Sam Rockwell's on this. Oh, yeah, he's always great. I feel like not many people might not know him as a, a comedian necessarily, but I know him from movies like The Hitchhiker Guides film adaptation or The Way, Way Back, which was like with a Jim Rash, Nat Faxon film from a few years ago. And I think he's a very solid comedian. So I'm hopeful. I hear he's absolutely fantastic in uh three billboards outside ebbing missouri i think it's called mm-hmm. I think he's actually he's getting some oscar buzz for it i think we're going to start getting into beginning of 2018 uh you know we already got some talk with franco but i feel like now is when we're going to start having you know these actors these more serious actors that are part of uh you know oscar franchises or larger franchises coming in and doing stuff we've had like a lot of comedians i feel like in this first half and i talked about this before but I'm so happy with even though SNL might not be uh, up to par for me in terms of the writing. I love their host choices between going a lot of different directions with bringing a lot of first time hosts with bringing a lot of comedians to the the diversity that they're bringing in. I'm really happy from that perspective. And I'm happy to sort of add Sam Rockwell in there as another uh, debut host. Yeah, I, I probably for me, his Confessions of a Dangerous Minds when he played Chuck Barris is probably mm-hmm. my favorite thing that he's done. But he yeah, I agree. And I think even though he's not really known for, you know, live comedy or sitcom comedy, performing comedy in front of an audience, I think that he's such a such an interesting uh, um, the the way that he acts. I think he'll be an interesting person to see doing live comedy in 8H. Yeah, absolutely. Rich, you have any other thoughts that we should impart on our listeners to end off 2017 and SNL before we uh, take our own holiday hiatus? You know what? I think, uh, I, you know, uh, I love doing this and yet I need a break. I think the SNL uh, cast and writers are probably in the same situation. I think a couple of weeks off will do them well. Uh, and I think it'll be good to see uh, what they come back with fresh, uh, you know, fresh and refreshed for 2018. Yeah, absolutely. And I also realized looking at Sam Rockwell's uh, filmography, uh, Moon and Galaxy Quest are also like two great representations of just how good Sam Rockwell is. So I'm personally very excited. But yeah, I'm looking forward to all of us uh, taking a break from the show for a little bit and coming back to it, hopefully renewed, refreshed and stronger in the year 2018. There you go. So let's do it. Let's talk. Let's stay connected. Let's hear what everyone else has to say, which we're always very interested in. Uh, hear what you guys have to say on Twitter, on the on the page, on post show recaps, uh, Facebook. Let's uh, let's get get some other conversation going because we get a long stretch to stay connected before we come back in 2018. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter. Rich is at Rich Tack. I am at a Mike Bloom type. And yeah, let us know your thoughts about the first half of SNL 2017, about any other news that might come in. Again, we have a, a month ahead of us, so who knows? We might even see some more featured players get hired before we come back in 2018. That's happened before. So uh, be sure to let us know any SNL news you may find and give us your thoughts. We're happy to continue the conversation. Perfect. Very cool. We'll talk to you guys next year. Thanks so much.